Hello, thank you for tuning in to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. It's God's house. This is where the word of life is proclaimed. This is where people get their lives back together. This is where people who are bruised, who are hurting, who are sick, who are diseased, come and find healing for their soul. The house of God and God's heart is breaking. And it's the heartache of God that a house of God, the local church, should be a people who come together and sing with all our heart because we want God to be glorified in the house. At the time that the prophet Jeremiah was speaking to the people of Israel, they were an idolatrous, ignorant and immoral nation. Just as a shepherd is charged to care for and protect his sheep, so the religious leaders were to protect the people. But they weren't. The people had turned to idols for refuge. Tonight, Dr. Corbett is in Jeremiah chapter 12 to look at the devouring sword of the Lord. So come with me now to Jeremiah chapter 12. You know, I've been thinking if, if we wanted to simply tickle people's ears, you probably would not pick the book of Jeremiah to do it with, would you? You just would not. And here's a young man called from an early age. He would have been probably 12 years of age or so when God called him to begin to prophesy to people much older than him, to begin to prophesy to people in positions of authority, to begin to prophesy to people who could have done him great harm and eventually did. And as a 12-year-old boy, he had to learn to be courageous. And there's a kind of spirituality that you can lead that will cost you nothing. You won't have to stand up. You won't have to stand up for what you believe in. You won't have to speak up for what you believe in. And you can kind of coast through that kind of spiritual life without anyone really knowing that you're perhaps a Christian. And one of the worst things that you could ever hear is, is for someone to discover that you're a Christian and say, You! A Christian! Well, I never would have guessed. <laughs> Wouldn't that be tragic? Wouldn't that be tragic? So there's a kind of spirituality that will cost you nothing. It's a kind of spirituality that is insipid, impotent, emasculated, and brings very little glory to God. And that kind of Christianity, I don't want any of us leading that kind of life. I want to lead the kind of life where it's obvious. It's obvious who we're serving. It's obvious who we're trying to glorify. It's obvious who we're trying to live for. And I think Jeremiah epitomizes that for me. And now we've gone through the first um, 11 chapters and the first six verses of Jeremiah 12. And I want you to just be reminded that he has identified the coming doom that's coming upon Judah, Israel, he has told them why. He has asked them to repent. He has asked them to stop doing what they're doing. He has asked them to examine their ways, amend their ways and return to the ancient paths. And they have refused. And we find Jeremiah sharing from his heart. At, in Jeremiah chapter 9, he says, I, I look at how these people are hurting you, God, and I can't help but weep and weep and weep and weep for them and for you. Oh, that my head were a fountain of waters, he says in Jeremiah chapter 9. 
And so that's why he became known as Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, the one who wept because he really felt his message. And as he catalogues this sin, it, it crescendos or perhaps goes to a new depth, depending on your outlook, when he shares that essentially, and we'll talk about this in a moment, that essentially their, their main sin was idolatry. And that idolatry manifested in immorality. They were practicing all kinds of lewd sexual activity in the misguided belief that it would actually bring fertility and blessing on their crops. And there are people that do that today. They practice all kinds of sexual immorality, believing it will bring blessing, happiness, satisfaction and fulfillment to their life when it won't. And the people had ignored God's word, ignored God's word. That is, they were ignorant in that sense. They were ignoring, they were ignorant. They did not want to know God's word. They did not want God's word. They were ignoring it. And he challenges them with that as well. So there are three crimes of idolatry, immorality and ignorance reach this depth where he says, as he concludes the, the rap sheet of their sin, and he says with tear-stained pages, if you look closely, you'll see his tears still tain, stain the text, where he says, and you take your babies, your babies, and you go down to the valley of Hinnom, and you throw your babies screaming alive into a furnace as an offering to Molech. God has this against you. And today, arguably, babies in much, much greater numbers than Israel ever did are being thrown into the furnace of convenience. And it's tragic, absolutely tragic. And in having done all this, we, we read in chapter 11 that the people were resisting Jeremiah and giving him a hard time. And so we find Jeremiah saying to God, I quit. I don't want to do this anymore. They're not listening to me. Just I don't want to do this. I want to run away. I just want a house in the wilderness somewhere. I just can't handle this i quit and now we pick up god's response so now we're in jeremiah chapter 12 we're reading from verses 7 to 13 and i've titled this section the sword of the lord the sword of the lord and so <clears throat> jeremiah chapter 12 and verse 7 here's god's response to, Jer to jeremiah I have forsaken my house. I have abandoned my heritage. I have given the beloved of my soul into the hands of her enemies. Uh, notice the tenderness. I have forsaken, not their house. This is my house. Someone has said, when, when God is alienated from someone, he's never the one to initiate the alienation. When Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden and felt that alienation from God, he was the one that went away from God. 
And whenever we feel distant from God, it's not God who's moved. And God says, I've abandoned it. And what's he saying really? They've abandoned me. Notice this, I have abandoned, uh, I have forsaken my house, the house of the Lord, that central focus of worship. The very center of Jerusalem was the temple. The very center of a community is meant to be the house of God. It's meant to be church. It's meant to be. You know, the church, the local church is the hope of the world. It's God's house. This is where the word of life is proclaimed. This is where people get their lives back together. This is where people who are bruised, who are hurting, who are sick, who are diseased, come and find healing for their soul. The house of God and God's heart is breaking. And the first thing he says is, I've abandoned, forsaken my house. And it's the heartache of God that a house of God, the local church, should be a people who come together and sing with all our heart because we want God to be glorified in the house. So God has forsaken the house. Oh, man. Oh, man. I have abandoned my heritage. We are a part of the heritage of God. We are a part of the inheritance that God has for Christ. We are the inheritance for Christ. We are joint heirs with Christ. And this is something God is very, very moved about when he says, I have given the beloved of my soul. This is deep, deep, intimate language. How God is feeling about people. Please do not think your response to God causes God to be indifferent. Oh, God's not up there going, well, I don't care. Whatever you want, you do. I don't care. That is not the God we worship. The God we worship is a deeply passionate God. You feel anger about injustice? Guess why? You're created in the image of God. If you feel anger over injustice, how do you think God feels? Now, I know that there are people out there who say, Oh, God never gets angry. God never hates. God only ever loves lovey-dovey-dovey. Yeah, right. God does get angry and you can get angry with those you love. In fact, the more you love, the more intense you love, probably the more intense your anger will be when you're disappointed or frustrated. Someone has put it this way. The closer a planet is to the sun, the brighter the heat, the brighter the light on that planet, but greater the darkness on the other side. In the same way, the more intense the light shines on an object, the darker the shadow is. The more intense the love given towards someone when they betray you, the darker your emotions are. And God has ultimate love coming toward us, his people. When we break his heart and disappoint him, how does he feel? Now, I, I can't even begin to understand how he feels because I'm so full of sin and corrupted, even though I've been saved from it. I still, I, my, my whole view of the world is distorted, but God's isn't. God can feel disappointment with pure love. And here, this is how he's feeling. He says he's given them over into, his, into their enemies, into her enemies. Verse 8. My heritage has become to me like a lion in the forest. She's lifted up her voice against me. Therefore, I hate her. 
God says, hate someone. God hates. Yeah, there's actually, there's actually several things in the Bible God says he hates. God hates certain things. So let's not have this wishy-washy, pathetic, insipid concept of God that he is not moved emotionally. He is. Now, they had chosen to worship the god Molech. Molech was shown to be the sun god. He was then typified as coming to kind of coming to earth as a lion and i've shown you in previous messages how in places like babylon and persia where they worship molech they they archaeologists have actually found these statues of great lions which they attribute to this god molech so here's the interesting thing they had gone after molech it, it says that in the previous chapters chapters seven eight nine and so on they, they were worshiping this god molech the lion god and god says you've become like a lion and that's not a compliment. They'd become like the God they were worshipping. And they were meant to be sheep. And you've become like a lion. So when the shepherd now comes to his sheep, instead of meeting sheep, he's confronted with a raging lion. And God says, this is not right. Your response to me is not right. You do become like the God you worship. If you worship a God who is all loving, who is all just, who is all compassionate, you'll become like that. If you worship a God who, who considers that eternity is a long time and time is short and the decisions you make in this life will affect your eternity, if that's the God you worship, that will affect your outlook on life as well. You will live differently if that's your outlook. She has lifted up her voice against me. Therefore, I hate her. Wow. Verse 9. Is my heritage to me like a hyena's lair? Are the birds of prey against her all around? What's the picture here? Yes, a lion comes out against me. But you know what I do to lions that come out against me? It's no match. You come to attack me, you will be the one <laughs> that comes off second best. And now the picture is this. You come against me like that, and very soon the birds of the air, that is the vultures, will begin to circle you. And wild beasts will come around to eat you. Wow. Wow. What a picture. It's an interesting thought that if you've set yourself up to fight God, history says... He'll win. It's an interesting thought that when we look at the people who are most fighting against God, people like Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens, Sam Harris, Daniel Dennett, some of these guys who made it their life work to destroy faith in God, to destroy the notion of God. It's interesting now that Christopher Hitchens is battling with cancer. It's recently come out that Richard Dawkins' wife has left him and the personal lives of these guys is paying a huge price and as christopher hitchens says i do not believe in god and i hate him that's a weird way to live your life 
And if you fight God, you will lose. I've got a book by Peter Hitchens, Christopher Hitchens' brother, who was sharing in Christopher's campaign against God. And last year, he converted to Christ. (laughs) You fight God, he tends to win. Now, you can see, go assemble all the wild beasts, bring them to devour why was god so outraged what is it well we've looked at it what 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 was it that i mean this sounds like an angry god doesn't it this sounds like a god who is angry and it would be wrong to think oh man you want me to get scared so i i i come and and give my life to jesus no actually i don't actually i don't but i it would be unfair of me not to let you know that that jesus is somebody who takes his word very very seriously and his word says you either come, Matthew 21, 44, you come and you break your life upon him. And the picture is you come and you lay your life down before him like a subject before a conquering king. And, and the subject would come and, and lay there and pro, the word is prostrate themselves before the king and say, I'm your humble servant. You either come and lay your life down before me, Jesus said, uh, on, a, on, a, on a rock where there's a throne. You come and lay your life down on this rock or I will come to you. And this is what Jesus said. This is red letter Christianity. I'll come to you and I'll grind you to dust. Does that sound like Jesus, meek and mild, whatever? You know, you can worship Buddha, I don't care. You worship her, you, you just, whatever. It'll all eventually get to me, eventually. Does that sound like that? doesn't sound like that to me. It sounds like Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. You either come and you lay down your life and break open your life before me. Or I'll come to you and I'll grind you to dust. Have a nice day. We love John 3.16. John 3.16 we love, but John 3.36 we tend not to love. But it's the same passage. The same passage. And it's one number different. Why was God so outraged? The people had been idolatrous. And if you want to tick God off, be idolatrous. Set up another God and claim that it has the attributes of God Give it glory, whatever it might be, and you'll tick God off. (laughs) So in other words, don't do that. Idolatry. You know, you can make food an idol. You can make sport an idol. You can make work an idol. You can make a relationship an idol. And if this is the case, and this is my pastoral prayer for us as a church, that God will continually be destroying idols out of our lives, that we might be able to serve him unhindered idols secondly they were ignorant they were ignoring the word of god they were ignoring it they did not want it in their lives they did not want it to shape their lives they didn't want to give heed to it they were ignorant and thirdly they were immoral and do not think that sex is merely two bits of meat just slapping together and that's just recreation and that's what just we do in society today and it's no big deal it is a big deal it is fundamentally an act of worship And it was established from the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1, so that mankind could celebrate the image of God. When man and woman came together sexually, God calls that the image of God in man. And the gift of sex was meant to worship God by two people, two different people coming together to celebrate sexually in marriage. That's an act of worship. You do that without marriage, You do that with whosoever, you are insulting your maker. It's very serious. And that's what the people of Israel had done. The good news is, 
We've all done this. If you haven't at least physically done it, you've at least thought it. And don't tell me you haven't, because I know you have. And that's not even a word of knowledge. That's just a word of a man to the, word, to the minds of people. We've all done it. So we all stand condemned. And this week I read John Piper's tweet and it, was, it got me thinking. I was trying to think, oh, I wonder who that was. And this is what John Piper said. God in all of time has only ever treated one person worse than they ever deserved. See, how did you get that so quickly? I, I had to think about that for about half an hour before I realised, oh, that's Jesus. <laughs> the rest of us he treats like we deserve because we are guilty. And we get what we deserve. So isn't it good to know that that's what we deserve and it's as if God takes our life and he says, this is what you deserve and instead of that, I'm going to hide you, I'm going to take this offering envelope. So this is us and we stand on here with you know the, the, all the sins that we've committed listed here on this indictment, this rap sheet, and God says you should be condemned and we come to jesus and say jesus forgive me come into my life when in fact it's not him so much coming into our lives as us coming into his and now god looks at that jesus when he looks at us and if you're offered forgiveness and you don't deserve it this morning i had sean serve me the elements and i was under command by jeff to say God loves you. So I did. But I followed it up with Sean. I said, God loves you. And I don't know why. (laughs) And it sounds funny, doesn't it? But it's true, isn't it? Because there's a part of human nature that says, well, yeah, I don't know why he loves you, but I got got 10 reasons why he loves this guy (laughs) right here. You guys... Yeah, you're probably dirty, rotten sinners. Not this guy. Oh, yeah, I've sinned, but, you know, like, just in a cute kind of way. <laughs> See the arrogance of the human heart? Isn't that arrogant? Man. So we've all committed this. We've all committed idolatry. We've all put other things before God. To be filled with God and Theo. We've been en theo, enthusiastic about things more than God and his house and his word. We've all broken that one. We've all ignored the word at times. I've done that. I've felt the challenge of God and resisted it. Man, I'm as guilty as sin, literally. Doesn't that make the fact that God is still prepared to love us? And I can say God loves me and I don't know why. It does. That's why we sang it. It is amazing it's amazing grace amazing grace that we should be forgiven and i've said it before you know when god feels like this i totally get hell i completely understand hell i just don't understand why he doesn't send us all there right now grace i don't get it i would much rather have law because law i can work out law i can tick the boxes law i can go done that done that done that need to work on that but grace it's all been done Grace, it's God extending his forgiveness to me. Oh, man. And the best thing you can do right now is say, Jesus, I could use some of that right now. I want to be forgiven. I want to be set free. I want your grace and your forgiveness on my life right now. So we we read on that God is 
has called shepherds to challenge his sheep if these are the three areas where the people have failed, idolatry, ignorance and immorality, the shepherds had failed to challenge the people in these regards. If you have a pastor who is challenging you regarding putting God first, don't be an idolater. If you have a pastor who is challenging you not to be ignorant but to learn, if you have a pastor who is challenging you to live your life purely, I think you've got a good pastor. Because we read in verse 10, this is what it says. Many shepherds have destroyed my vineyard. Why? Because they hadn't been doing that. They hadn't challenged the people over their idolatry. They hadn't challenged the people over their ignorance or their immorality. They have trampled down my portion. They have made my pleasant portion a desolate wilderness. Now, this is really irony because the people were pursuing Molech, Ashtate, these other false gods, in the belief that doing these pagan things would actually bring fertility and blessing and make them happy and provide for their welfare. But the very thing they were doing was actually destroying their happiness and their welfare was being sabotaged by them doing it. Because God has provided his word as a hedge of protection, boundaries, that is designed for our happiness. I know there are people going, Christians aren't meant to be happy, and you certainly look like you believe it. But but there are people who, Christians aren't meant to be happy, they're meant to be full of joy. Well, (laughs) the Westminster Shorter Catechism says the chief end of man is to know and enjoy God, to enjoy God, to be happy. There's nothing wrong with being happy. Given the alternatives, I'd rather go with that one. Be happy. And God's word, if we live it out, will actually result in our happiness. It will, and it will result in our welfare. And the people had shunned it and pursued happiness and welfare and discovered that pursuing that directly actually makes it impossible to get. Verse 11. They have made it a desolation. Desolate, it mourns to me. The whole land is made desolate, but no man lays it to heart. See, here's the heart of God. And I read this, and I've got to say in my preparation, I just stop and go... Oh, God, I don't know if I lay this to heart enough. I don't know if I feel your ache for the lost enough. I don't know if I carry a weighty enough burden for the lost. I don't know if I pray enough that your people would be convicted of idolatry, ignorance, immorality. I don't know if I work hard enough to make that something that is strong and loud and clear, not only in our church, because I don't believe God has called us just to minister within our church. I believe God has called us to minister to our city, to make a difference in our city. And I, I have to go, God, I don't think I'm laying this to heart enough. Please change my heart. I want to feel what you feel. Please, oh God. You see, God is saying people are sinning. That's bad. Shepherds haven't done their job. But here's something worse. And no one cares. And I want to stop right there and go, God, I want to care. I think I care, but I don't care enough. I want to care. I want to lay it to heart. And we read verse 12. 
as, as we look at this, notice that the people have become desolate. They've been devoured. These are, this is the language that's being used. Why? Because those people who are called shepherds, and who are called shepherds? Yes, it's priests, in today's vernacular, pastors. But it was also political leaders, the princes, the kings. It was the governors. It was the people who actually had a level of authority and responsibility in society. Who is it today? Who's called the shepherd today? Yes, again, it's pastors. Yes, it's political leaders. And it's mums and dads. You are called to pastor your children. You are called to challenge your own children in these three areas. Idolatry, ignorance, immorality. What's the opposite of those things? Devotion to God, filled with the knowledge of his word and living a life that's pure and happy and devoted to Christ in body and soul. That's what parents do when they shepherd their children. And this is how shepherds protect their sheep. So who does lay these things of God to heart? I hope we do. I hope we get it. We read in verse 12, Upon all the bare heights in the desert, destroyers have come, for the sword of the Lord devours from one end of the land to the other. No flesh has peace. The sword of the Lord devours. It's interesting that the Bible talks about the sword of the Lord as this instrument of judgment. The sword of the Lord in this instance would be carried by Babylonians. It would be a foreign people who did not know God themselves, who God would use. The next little section in this chapter talks about that. But here we have the sword of the Lord being carried by people who do not know God. God will use the sword of the Lord in a way that may not look like it's very spiritual to bring correction and discipline to your life. He will. I remember Kim and I were praying for a a young man who was training for the Commonwealth Games. He was an athlete, one of the fastest runners in Australia at the time, and We were praying for him. He came to church one Sunday and we for sure thought he was going to come out and give his life to Christ that Sunday. He was so moved. He was so on the verge. Do you know that you you have, for most people, there is an 85% chance they'll be converted before the age of 17. In other words, for all people who are converted, 85% chance is that it happened before they were 17. After the age of 30, the chances of being converted are very, very slim. Very slim. What does that tell us as a church? We've got we to work hard. We've got to work young. We've got to get the gospel out as soon as we can to people. Because as you get older, you get harder. That's what life tells us. And this young man was so close to giving his life to Christ and he didn't. He walked away from that meeting and we just thought, Oh God, I man, that gospel was preached so clearly today. <laughs> We don't know why he didn't give his life to Christ then, but God, if there's something holding him back, remove it from his life. And he had a, an old um, FC Holden, like an FJ, and, and he worshipped that car. And that week he wrapped it around a tree. He had a girlfriend that he adored, and that week they broke up. His, his athletic career received a setback when he, he, he pulled a hamstring or something and couldn't make the tryouts, all within a week or two. And we thought, God, I don't know if this guy's going to thank you, but you are certainly trying to get his attention. What does God have to do to get your attention? What does he have to do? The, the sword of the Lord can be something that will judge you or heal you in the same way that the sword could be a surgeon's knife. Verse 13. They have sown wheat 
and they've reaped thorns. They have tired themselves out, but profit nothing. They shall be ashamed of their harvests because of the fierce anger of the Lord. So the very thing they thought they would receive more of, the harvest, they were practicing these acts of immorality in their fields before these Asherah poles and so on to bring fertility on their crops. God says, okay, you remove me from your life. You're not even going to have a harvest. The very thing they thought they were achieving, they were now going to be deprived of. Because God is the ultimate source of your happiness and welfare. You take him out of the picture. It's a bleak picture. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would help us to be a people that love you, love your word, love Jesus, that there is no one more that we would rather worship, no one more that we would rather serve, no one more that we would rather spend time with than Jesus. Lord Jesus, grip the hearts and the minds of every person here. Help us not to be ignorant. Help us not to shun your word. Help us to embrace your word. Now, Lord, if there are those here and they know they are not right with you, perhaps they have a relationship with you, but they have neglected their fellowship with you, I pray that you draw them back, call them back in, cause them to come home. And Lord, if there are those listening to me right now, whether on the internet, whether in their car, in their home, wherever they might be, and they've never given their life to Christ, they have not secured their name in the book of life, they've not asked God to save their soul, I pray right now that you, listening to me wherever you are now, would pray a prayer from your heart that says, God, please forgive me of my sin. Please come and live in my heart and help me to live for you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Ah, the futility of idolatry and a charge for pastors to protect and care for their flock. Next week, Dr. Corbett meets the raiser and faller of nations. If you've missed the previous broadcasts, we have a special offer for our Finding Truth Matters listeners. Series 1 of Jeremiah the Weeping Prophet is now available and includes 26 DVDs. For a gift of $75, we'll send you the entire first series of Jeremiah on DVD. To take advantage of this offer, just go to findingtruthmatters.org and click DVD Offer. You're also welcome to phone and request this special DVD offer. If you're calling locally, the number is 6330 2885 in business hours. That number again, 6330 2885. We look forward to joining you at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.